Hello, and welcome to the June TF Bulletin edition of the ToxPod. I'm Peter Stockham, and with me I have Jennifer Schumann and Sarah Villa. They are, of course, the current Bulletin editors. How long have you both been doing this for? Uh, it's been six years now, hasn't it? I think yeah. we published our first Bulletin in 2016. Been doing a fantastic job. And this is a special Bulletin edition because, of course, it's Sarah's last time she's going to be doing it as a co-editor because she's now on the TF board, of course. Yes, indeed. It's a little bit with a pain in the heart, but okay, you can't do uh, everything. And I think it's time after six years to let somebody else pick that up. And so, yes, Rebecca Hartman from the US is going to step in as a bulletin editor. Um, so for some people, will be maybe happy that I'll stop stalking them <laughs> with all kinds of requests, but uh, it will be taken over by somebody else, of course. <laughs> And you've done such a wonderful job and been a, a great co-editor for the Bulletin, stalking people and finding content all of this time. So you'll be sorely missed, but looking forward to having um, some fresh blood on the Bulletin Editor Committee and we'll get Rebecca started for the September issue. Thanks a lot. And of course, I'll still be around a little bit because uh, as a board member, one of my duties is, you know, to keep a link with the Bulletin. So Jennifer and Rebecca can always cry out if there's any issues, but I'm sure uh, they'll, as Jennifer already said, you know, give a, a new kind of dimension on the on the bulletin. I'm sure that that will work out perfectly fine. Okay, so let's get into the June 2022 edition of the TF Bulletin. First of all, we've got the TF President's message, and Dimitri recently had a, meet, a board meeting in Ghent, the first in-person board meeting they've had for some time. So indeed, we had a board meeting in Ghent. It's, it's actually because... Uh, Alain Verstraete has his retirement, so we also got to celebrate that. And I think as a past president of TFT, it was also interesting that we as a board, you know, showed our appreciation for Alain, for all the work that he has been doing. But of course, we took the opportunity in that occasion to meet each other and to have, you know, a, a very charged business meeting in the sense that, of course, after two years COVID, it was nice to meet each other. There were new board members, as, as myself too. And uh, so we got acquainted with all the aspects of yeah, the TF board and, and what work should be done. So, of course, we looked into the raise of the threshold for the DFC countries. So it went up from 20,000 to 30,000 US dollars. This meant that several countries will now also become uh, developing countries, such as Argentina, Turkey, Greece, Bulgaria, Chile, Uruguay, and there are several others to come too. And then, of course, we have the Randy Basils Awards, which will be awarded to each TF member um, who has served as a, a lead author of a paper that looks into interpretation for the chats. So I think there are some interesting new things coming up for TFs. Yeah, Randy Basalt was a founding member of a board, I think, that set up the Journal of Analytical Toxicology, so it's appropriate. Yeah, indeed. In regard to the TF fees going up a little bit, they've gone up $10 to $60 from next year. Um, but remember, of course, TF's got a, quite a few more benefits. You know, get access to Journal of Analytical Tox. Of course, got their very own podcast, which is fantastic. And... Um, <laughs> access to various other committees that are being formed. So um, $60 is still good value. Got a TF bulletin. Don't oh, forget yes, about yes. that. <laughs> so it hasn't gone up for um, over 10 years. So 
Yeah, of course. And and as we say, the TF Bulletin, uh, I think it's still nice to have the paper version, but it's not so cheap to get this printed and distributed worldwide. Uh, and, you know, as everything, all prices are going up worldwide. So um, that's, that's one of the considerations we had to make. I've always imagined the TF Bulletin editors sitting around with huge piles, about a thousand bulletins behind them and sticking them into envelopes and how do, how do you actually do that? Is that all done by the printer? I think so. that's what used to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that's luckily done by the printer now. So they um, do that quite automatically, actually. And that's why it's so important, you know, to keep your address updated because it's actually a fully automated process in which they print the addresses on the envelopes. Okay, so let's get on to some articles. Uh, the first article we've got comes from Nigeria. That's right, um, from Uom Ize and Ebenezer Fatunla. This is a really interesting article. When I first saw the title, I thought it was suicide by sniper, as in with a gun, but it's actually sniper, one of these local pesticides that's available in Nigeria. Uh, and it's quite commonly used as a method of suicide by poisoning. So this is a one of the first in our series of case reports, which are going to be a new feature of the TF Bulletin in, in upcoming issues. Yes, we heard from several people that they were really interested in more case reports. So we're trying to set this up. So if anybody's hearing this and is thinking about an interesting case, please send it to the TF Bulletin. It is good to get a case report to see what's happening in other parts of the world. Quite a reasonably high um, suicide rate in Nigeria. And snipers actually dichlorvos, which um, has restricted access in lots of countries, but not so in this particular country and parts of Africa. So it's readily available and it's highly toxic. So it has been causing a lot of problems. And of course, you've got an article from uh, Wayne Jones and True to Form. It's very comprehensive. Part one of three, I believe. That's right. He's um, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin. So He's provided a really comprehensive history of uh, the discovery of insulin, and that's for the first uh, article of this series in the June issue. Uh, And we'll have follow-up articles in the September and December issues talking about diabetes itself and as well as insulin as a murder weapon. So these will be some more really interesting articles coming from Wayne Jones. Yeah, look forward to that. Diabetes, of course, is largely treatable today but used to be a a fatal disease and people with type 1 diabetes had a very short life expectancy of um, you know less than two years the only treatment available was um, to restrict their dietary intake so that um, they didn't produce too much glucose in the blood which of course is uh, very toxic to the body one of the pictures there the laboratory looks exactly like the laboratory uh, i spent my last year at university in (laughs) looks exactly the same, which says a lot for the funding that was given to the organic chemistry department at Adelaide University. Was it 100 years ago? <laughs> no, it's not because I'm very old. It's because the university, <laughs> was, they actually did the laboratory out the year after I left, apparently. Okay, moving on now, we've got an article about Edna, which um, both Jen and I have an association with. This is a great article that that's come from you, Pete, and uh, your colleagues in Western Australia talking about the Emerging Drugs Network of Australia. So you're involved with the South Australian component, I'm involved with the Victorian component, and we've got uh, a national approach to toxicosurveillance that's covered here. So although uh, early warning systems and toxicosurveillance systems 
have been around the world for a while. This is all very new to Australia. Uh, and you guys have provided a, a really great overview of why this all started and where we're at with it so far. Yeah, we're focusing on looking at emergency department uh, intoxication patients and analysing the blood of those patients, not for clinical purposes, but purely for um, toxicosurveillance purposes. So it's about um, trying to team up forensic toxicologists with clinical toxicologists and um, sharing each other's expertise and getting some good results out. Exactly. And we've found some really weird and wonderful things as well that uh, probably we wouldn't have even known were circulating around Australia um, because they haven't turned up in the forensic casework. So uh, lots of novel synthetic drugs um, and a lot of uh, drugs that people don't really know what they're getting, thinking that they're taking one thing and, and getting something else entirely. So it's really important in terms of the public health outcomes. It was a bit of a challenge trying to coordinate uh, all the laboratories around Australia to try and have the same sort of analytical scope. Uh, but we've had to make some compromises, but we think we've got a model that might work. So we'll see how that goes over the next few years. So far, so good. And we have uh, the mentor article for this edition. That's right. We have a mentor article from Neela Salmon uh, for this issue. Oral fluid testing of drug drivers, my 25-year experience with an interesting but challenging alternative matrix. Yeah, so I think Neela really gives an overview of uh, the start, actually, of, of her career with um, oral fluid testing in the Rosita uh, European study. And then she goes on, on you know, uh, the current literature, but also how this was applied in the Belgian drugs and driving legislation. And uh, it's, it's a very nice overview of what research has been done and how you can use oral fluid in a, in a very scientific way, you know, to be very practical and just to screen as much drivers as you can for consumption of drugs. And of course, the Rosita projects are quite famous. Some of the founding research that was done on oral fluid drug testing at the roadside, I think. And of course, Alain Verstraat was involved in the start of that too, wasn't he? Yes, Alain Verstraat was her promoter during her PhD. So uh, they, they really started up together, I believe, also with uh, Pascal Kintz, who worked in this Rosita project. They looked into oral fluid and, and you know, the pros and cons and, and how you can really apply it uh, in a forensic toxicological setting. Okay, and then we have Alice Ameline uh, talking about oral fluid concentrations of drugs of abuse. And this is a result of a guide that's proposed by the French Society of Analytical Toxicology for Road Safety. And she goes through different classes of drugs and what their uh, proposed concentrations and cutoffs are in oral fluids. Yes, I think as in Belgium and France, they're also working with oral fluid in the context of screening drug drivers. And I think it was their aim to again review the current literature to have an idea about what the concentrations actually mean or how they can use them in a more practical way to screen drug drivers. It also uh, gives some background on the issues associated with each of the drugs and um, it might be more concentrated in oral fluids or less concentrated and also issues with uh, different collection techniques that mean that the, some drugs will, will adhere, might not actually be in the oral fluid, they may be on the mucosal membrane in the mouth and they adhere to uh, the sampling devices and things like that. That sort of issue is something that we always have to think about. And we have young scientist Marta van der Putte. She's talking about the work at her institute on activity-based assays for opioids and some results from a set of samples they compared to traditional LCMS assays. 
Yeah, and like she says, it is a continuous game of hide-and-seek with a lot of these novel compounds, and uh, a lot of this work focuses on detection of the nitazine opioids. These are some drugs that we've seen in Australia as well, and they're highly potent, some of them a lot more potent than fentanyl. So the technique they're using is um, activity-based assays, which is basically using a live cell culture, which um, as a result of the drug causes a light reaction. So it enables you to look for a generalised class of drug without actually looking for the specific drug. If you'd like to get some more information on that, Tim actually interviewed um, Marta uh, not so long ago on the ToxPod about this very topic. So that's worth having a listen to if you want to get more on this concept. Another thing that is interesting in this uh, particular article in the bulletin is that they give a list of suspected opioid overdoses and uh, also drugs and driving cases concerning uh, opioids. So uh, that's very interesting to see and to look further into. Yeah, the concept being that there might be a brand new drug, you wouldn't necessarily know it existed in the world, but you were getting a, a positive result on this assay, so it's time to look for something different. Yeah, indeed. And Martin de Grief is another young scientist from Belgium talking about an assay for variety of therapeutics using LCMS uh, for both triple quadrupole and QTOF methods. Yes, I think the aim that was really in his PhD was to look into, you know, how, how is the most practical way that we as a lab uh, should analyze our, our routine samples. So thinking about, you know, practicality, ease of use, but also just uh, economics. And I think that's something every forensic lab has to take into consideration. What techniques do we have? How can we use them in, in a, you know, an efficient way as possible to get the best results. So that's a little bit what he's talking about and comparing different uh, techniques and possibilities. Okay, and we have another Congress report, this time from PethNet. So PethNet is short for phosphatidylethanol, um, and it was held in Switzerland earlier this year. Yes, indeed, it was held in, in Basel, and I think the it was a two-day conference, but they tried also to get a harmonization guideline out there to do an interpretation of PET concentrations in blood. And so this will be published uh, shortly. And um, I think it's really interesting because they set up some, you know, recommendations on how to do your method and also how to get a good interpretation of the PETs or uniform interpretation. Sounds like it's going to be a really solid foundation for things moving forward. So phosphatidyl ethanol is so a, it's a biomarker for um, ethanol consumption, if you were wondering. Yes, and this consensus was really lacking because we had a lot of uh, literature reports, but now more and more in you know the driver's license regranting. Uh, Ethanol markers are, are requested, but okay, if you have different publications, which, you know, interpretation cutoffs you're going to use for um, a coroner or a medical doctor, this can be of importance, you know, to have a good recommendation, such as we have for the Society of Hair Testing uh, Guidelines. It would have been a right, nice little uh, scientific meeting, I think, 35 people, nice and concentrated over two days. It would have got a lot of um, interaction and a lot of work done, I think. Yeah, it was. Um, I, I was there, so it was a very oh. nice. Uh, yeah, was a very nice meeting, and indeed, it was uh, some tough discussions. But it was nice to, you know, finally come up with a consensus. Yeah. Are you gonna leak the consensus to us in the bulletin? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we also have a preview of the upcoming Versailles meeting in September. 
the organisers have already formed a scientific program of 100 oral presentations and 189 posters, so a strong uh, scientific program and there's a whole lot of photos to get you very excited about the meeting um, where it will be held and also the uh, social program. And we are all looking forward to that meeting, aren't we? The first one in person after, you know, the COVID period. Yes, it Absolutely. should be great. And also, don't forget the nomination for the Alan Curry and the TF Achievement Awards are due in very soon, uh, on the 5th of July, I believe. That's right. Yep. So get your applications in because it's not far away. Okay, and that about wraps it up for the June 2022 edition of the TF Bulletin. Thank you very much, Jen and Sarah, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for uh, the talk spots. And uh, maybe it will be my last one. So uh, thanks, Peter and Jen. And um, yeah, good luck with the future talk spots. So while Jen and Sarah go off to put all those TF bulletins into their envelopes and send them to you, you can download the TF bulletin from the website. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Registration is now open for the 61st annual TAFT meeting taking place from the 2nd to the 6th of September 2024 in St. Gallen, Switzerland. The early bird rate is only available until May 31st, so be sure to register soon for the reduced rate at www.tft2024.org. We look forward to welcoming you to St. Gallen for an inspiring, engaging and enlightening conference.